Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. March 2nd is nationally recognized as Read Across America Day. It's a day to focus attention and raise awareness on the importance of the role that reading plays in student achievement. A recent book suggests a new approach that parents and teachers can use to foster that desire in our children to read. I recently talked with education professor and author Ernest Morrill about the book he co-wrote, Every Child a Super Reader, Seven Strengths to Open a World of Possible. I'm probably going to date myself here, but my first memories of of learning to read were in preschool with, uh, with Dick and Jane and Spot. And then in first and second grade, it was the letter people and the cat in the hat. And I mean, that's my earliest memory of of learning how to read and being excited about about reading. What is that experience like for most children today? You know, it's interesting. I think when the when it's a good story, um, they almost can't even remember reading. It's been a part of their life like breathing. And maybe then, uh, you know, a parent will say, remember this book I read to you when you were two or three or four years old? And like, oh, yeah, you know. Um, so it's just a part of their lives for the kids that are, you know, we're worried about, their first memory is reading as, you know, some kind of evaluation, being in school, um, getting a, a book in front of you and not knowing the words and being totally stressed out about it. So I, these two different kinds of stories are, I think, part of the issue. There's the kids for whom reading is a, it reminds them of their grandparent that they sat on the couch with or, you know, the stories. And then there's the other kids for whom it's, um, you know, just been a, a lifetime of failure and woe. And what we what we try to do is get more of those stories like the former. You know, how is reading really um, a part of you being connected to the people you love, reading about the things that you love? Now, I know that the, like I, said, the, I went to a public school system, and, and, and back in the, in the early 70s, there was, a, at least in our school system, a, a, a heavy concentration on on kids reading, and we read in the classroom, and we had we had room parents that came in and and read stories um, to us. Is there what's different now? Is the educational system different? Are parents, because of all the other external pressures of the world, not as focused and interested in in reading as maybe uh, parents of a of a previous generation? Or um, what what are the factors that are in play now? Thanks for the question. I think the biggest factor is that we're not moving backwards as much as the world is moving forwards, and more and more is required of students. If the students today were assessed in the way that we, and I'm also that public school child of the 70s, if they were assessed in the ways that we were, <laughs> they would be doing much better. But the but the bar is higher. Um, there's more competition, and this is you know something that we need from every child and not just a, a small percentage. I think that's kind of what has changed the most. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think that there are a lot of other distractors in terms of, uh, you know, what's drawing people's time and attention in the classroom and outside of the classroom. And But I, I, I feel, you know, maybe it's the eternal optimist in me that we're kind of coming back to really appreciating reading and appreciating the book and having read-alouds in classrooms and parents being encouraged to read aloud to their children at home, you know, uh, half-hour night, and libraries seem to be kind of galvanizing around this. So I think we're coming back to some of those things that we, you know, look fondly on in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But to my thinking, this is the first time we've really thought this is something that we can have for every kid in America, and that's what got me excited. 
Now, you, you talk about, and it's in the title of the book as well, the, the, the seven strengths. What are those strengths, and how do you see those, develop those or, or, or um, initiate those in, in our kids? Great, yeah. So I'll just name them, and then I'll, I'll go back and talk a little bit about how they come together. So they are a belonging, friendship, kindness, curiosity, confidence, courage, and hope. And so they begin, you know, if you think about social-emotional learning, the um, kids who are most engaged in changing the world and seeing themselves as powerful are also kids who have, one, learned to believe in themselves, and two, learn to get on with those around them, whether it's their family or their classroom or their immediate circle. And three, they, they have a, a, an undying sense of confidence in themselves and their ability to do well. But it really starts with, um, do I belong? Do I see this as something I can do at a personal level? So the first strengths are really there. You know, how do we welcome a child into a community of readers in our family? How do we welcome him, them into a community of readers in the classroom? How do we help kids to kind of learn to talk and work with each other, both in what they're reading, but also in the conversations? And then how do we move out to you being curious and pursuing your own questions and your own interests and um, having the courage to speak up for what you believe in and creating campaigns in your third grade classroom or starting a neighborhood recycling program from your block? And, and then really, you know, that kind of hope that I can make the world a better place. You know, I, I have a role to play. And reading factors in all of that, you know, that entire arc. And so we really try to build around each of the strengths, talk a little bit about how it connects to the research and share tons of examples for what you might do in your classroom or what you might do in your home with your own children. You said something interesting earlier that, that I hadn't really thought about, that in many cases the bar is so much higher now. So when you look at, the, at, when you look at for instance, uh, the national reading scores, how do those compare to... Uh, if you look at today's kids and their reading scores compare with maybe what their parents' scores would have been had they been assessed in the in the same way. You know, I think it's difficult to do because um, the, the, the exams are changing, you know, until you've got um, basic and proficient, right? You know, and so when we think about proficient, um, proficient's a pretty high bar, right? So you're you're not just... Um, you know, there's basic, there's far below basic, and so when we say something like, you know, 36% of kids are proficient, that's, that's like the highest quadrant, you know, uh, and we haven't really, that's not the language we use to talk about kids. I think it's great, but it's like, that? how many of them are above average, you know, uh, so the, but, but the goal is to kind of, yeah, can we get 75, 80, 90% of those kids proficient, not just basic, and that's, that's a big shift. So say, where does the other 60-some percent fall then? In it, most districts, um, the overwhelming majority of the kids are scoring at least at basic. So when you're looking at the below basic, which would be, you know, kind of a, a failing score, um, those are smaller numbers, but, the, but a lot of them are in that middle range. You know, they're in the basic but not proficient. And the moving from basic to proficient is, um, that's a global initiative right now because we for our economy, for the good of our society, for our, our, our civic order, need all kids or as many as possible to be at that proficient level. And so I, I think when we talk about it as a crisis, it's important because it, it galvanizes our energy. If we think of ourselves as failing or moving backwards from where we once were, um, 
that's not the best energy around it. It just leads to negativity. It leads to us kind of bashing teachers in schools, and um, that's not necessarily the place for the energy. It's much more about being positive and saying, what can we do? How can we meet this new challenge that we've set for ourselves as a society? A good friend of mine is an elementary school teacher, and, and she's been doing it now for about 20 years or so. So she's seen some changes in, in some of what she's required to do and how she goes about doing what she does. But when they're reading with their kids, she still puts, if the kid gets the, gets the story right, she, the kid still gets a gold star pasted onto the you know, page of their book or their handout page. And, and she sees that as, a, as kind of a reinforcing incentive that the kid's doing well and that, you know, that, can, that success breeds success. Has how we approach teaching reading changed? I think it changes, you know, um, I, I can't think of a static moment in the past, so I think it's constantly changing. And, but if I think about, you know, some of the, the positive changes um, that, that we have now in reading, it's a much more of a participatory process, the kinds of things that kids are able to do around reading, um, you know, the kinds of activities that they're involved in. Uh, so this idea of curiosity and launching your own projects, uh, I think that it's changing in the sense that um, the, we, we're hopefully complicating this idea of getting it right in a story and thinking much more about you understanding the story and being able to kind of speak back to the story and to read your own story into the story. I'm not saying this is what you'd see in every classroom or every home, but there's much more of a culture around that, that a book is, doesn't have right answers. <laughs> you know, a book is an invitation into a world of discovery and it's okay to ask questions. You know, I teach at a university, and I'm still telling my undergraduate and graduate students, it's okay to ask questions about a book. You know, I don't, <laughs> it's not a comprehension test. This is a, a, a dialogue yeah. we're going to have. And so I, I think we're getting there. You know, we're moving in the right direction. You certainly, we have, we have further to go with this, but, but I think these are good positive changes. Well, I know that even in, even in a first and second grade level, when they're reading their stories on, on, on the classroom iPad, and it's, it's, a, it's kind of a select or pick your own story kind of thing, so the students can, can kind of navigate where they want this kind of story to go, just, it kind of amazes me how technology is interwoven into, into what, they're, uh, what they're doing. Is there greater potential for kids to, to be better readers now with the technology if it's used appropriately in the classroom? I think so. I think that the technology... It, it, it can bring more books, um, and more books means more choice. More choice means um, more engagement because you're much more likely to kind of find that right book for that right kid that's the right topic, the right level. Um, and so in that way, I think technology can really facilitate. Um, you can, of course, do this without technology, but if we really increase um, – there's a big movement now, not only for the read alouds for teachers to read to students, but for students to have time to read on their own. And if what they're reading on their own is kind of generated from their own selection and they're, they're, they're able to have an individual relationship with that text, then you're definitely going to see um, an increase in, in students' reading engagement and their reading joy. And, and technology certainly can help us with that. What role do parents still play in this process and encouraging kids to read and, and being involved with their children outside of, of the school environment? Because I still see that coming up in a lot of different areas and stressed in literacy programs and even, you know, teachers in the, in the classroom are stressing that as well. Yeah, I think the parents still play the primary role. I mean, if you just think quantitatively about the 168 hours you have in a week um, during the academic year, uh, kids got to be in school about six hours a day. Um, you know, the other 
130 plus hours <laughs> outside of school. And 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 if you had the summers, you know, you got half of June, July, and August. And so we quantitatively, parents are are involved in their kids' reading lives even more than the school. And sometimes that's the biggest variable where school is is more um, uniform. It's what's happening outside of school that's the difference. One, um, even before that child goes to school, fostering a love of reading and a love of books until the first four years of their lives, they're surrounded with the vocabulary of reading and the books themselves. After school in the evening, you're, you're reading yourself and you're modeling that. You're reading to your kids at night. Um, you're creating adventures for them around text on the weekends and the summers. And um, so this is really, you know, it's a book for teachers, but it's a book for parents. And my own family members who are parents are clamoring for the book. It's the first time I've written something they actually want to read, but it's because it's going to help them with their own children. Uh, so I, I definitely think we have a role to play. Parents are the first literacy teachers and, and, and in most cases, the most important literacy teachers in a child's life. What kind of response have you have you received to the? To it's the been an overwhelming response. Yeah. We, uh, so the, for the teachers, you know, I kind of expected that because these are kinds of things that they want to do. They want to have read alouds. They want to have independent reading. They want choice for the students. They want fun activities. And uh, you know, we've I've been on the road five or six times over the past three weeks since the book has come out. And just yesterday, you know, there were 350 teachers in California and. Last week, we had a big summit with 150 superintendents, and there's a lot of excitement. But um, the social media, the mom who's saying, now I, can, now I understand what's going on with my 8-year-old son. Uh, and, I mean, that's really special, I think, you know, to, to be getting those personal responses on a day-to-day basis from, from parents out there who are reading the book and reimagining themselves as, as reading teachers in their children's lives. Is, is this a way that we can kind of, I mean, Every school district probably is going to have that resource question. It's, a, it's every superintendent and every school teacher struggles with, with whatever resources that they have at any any given time. But by utilizing some of the principles in the book, can, can, can that help to counteract the, the, the resource question or resource issue? I think so. I mean, in a couple of ways. I mean, one, you know, there are limited resources, but, uh, you know, someone was suggesting that, you know, this book needs to go to school boards and legislatures and uh, so they can decide, you know, how to appropriate the, the, the funds. And um, what's the cost of not having every child a super reader? But I think it also can direct funds. You know, you've got libraries in cities that, you know, um, can can be a part of this. You've got, um, you know, school libraries that can, can, can really help get books in the hands of kids. And I've seen, you know, even in really high poverty school systems, the librarian and literacy specialist kind of circulating books for read aloud. So there's always books in every classroom. Um, it really helps. And, you know, if you're thinking about grants and campaigns and getting people to contribute to your school, um, it helps parents think about, uh, you know, how many books might you get uh, in, in lieu of, kind of one technology toy that the kid doesn't really need. Uh, you know, books are a simple, cheap solution compared to a lot of other ways to change public education, that's for sure. There's one thing you'd like to leave with, with, with listeners uh, about Every Child a Super Reader. What would that be? One is that it's true that we can do this for every child in America and that everyone has a role to play. I mean, the book is packed with examples, but we're all reading teachers in the lives of these kids together. So it's something I'd like to see every babysitter, every classroom teacher, um, every parent or grandparent kind of get a hold of the book and to see themselves as a part of the movement.
That's Dr. Ernest Morrill. He's the director for minority and urban education at Columbia University's Teachers College. He is the co-author of Every Child a Super Reader. The book is available from Scholastic Books. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.